Good morning, everybody. How are we all doing? Good? You can get your worship guides out, and we're going to get right into the second installment of our series, God in Your Bod. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Derek, and uh, I'm the lead pastor at Connect, and it's just awesome to have you with us this morning. Hopefully, you've been blessed so far uh, in our worship experience. Can I have an amen or an me out there? <laughs> anyway, uh, always, always a joy to be in church. Uh, actually, today, I kind of woke up, and um, I didn't really want to come, to be honest with you, and... I had an imaginary conversation with my wife we used to have when I was a principal in the school, um, I, you know, and uh, it was, I don't want to go to church. And she said, you have to, you're the pastor. <laughs> but uh, I just asked God, I said, what's, what's the deal? You know, I'm not feeling so great. And he's like, it's an illustrated sermon, son. <laughs> anyway, so if I'm a little, uh, you know, in the fog or not as hyperactive, it's not because I didn't drink a Red Bull, it's because... Uh, just struggling just a little bit, but I like to be honest and transparent so everybody's trying to figure out what's going on, what's going on. So, uh, you know, if I have a little twitch or something like that, you know what's up. Anyway, um, you can follow along with us in our worship guide. We're going to camp in John chapter 11 is our theme text today. Uh, if you have version, if you don't, it's just a great app, great Bible app. Our, our worship bulletin is all inside there. You can, you can email yourself the notes. You can follow along all the text. Everything's all in there. I encourage you to do that. If you don't have an iPhone, you need to get saved. Uh, we can lay hands on you. We have, we have a unique eldership. They're all under 20. They pray for those, those special needs. Uh, anyway, a couple quick plugs. Um, I want to um, just follow up. And uh, we, our, our um, Newtown, Connecticut response uh, is kind of underway. So if you would like to participate uh, and, and contribute to... Uh, Long-term and short-term counseling needs for those families who uh, lost someone. Uh, we are starting that today. You should have an offering envelope in your worship guide today. You can just put that in the connection boxes uh, strategically located at the rear of the sanctuary and just outside the front door. Uh, we will kind of bundle all that and send an offering. We'll give you a report on what that offering is uh, at a later date. Also, downstairs in our prayer room, it's kind of a memorial room right now. And so if you wanted to go view that, there's a way for you to kind of identify with the families. We have kind of a, a very creative and artistic um, display there. And if you would like to send a word of encouragement or prayer, uh, we have prayer cards there and instruction for prayer. If you don't know how to kind of do that, you want to make sure, and this is important, that you would be uh, sensitive and discreet in your language uh, under such uh, important circumstances, please uh, just kind of read that a little bit. But that is open and available before and after every service, as well as all the prayer meetings during our fast. For those of you who are not aware, we're in a fast, and uh, we, our theme is Think Fast. And, uh, and so I hope you are participating in that. It's 21 days, culminates uh, on the 25th in our all-access worship night. If you ever want to experience what you just had, what you had this morning was a pinky touch of what all-access is like. So if you love worship and you just want to kind of break through and go to another level, then I encourage you to come, whether you're in the fast or not, come to that. It's an all-play for everyone. Um, another thing I just want to tell you, uh, my son mentioned the uh, marriage conference. It's, a, it's more like a retreat. It's an overnight. Uh, I just highly recommend if you're, if you're married, uh, and I want to just stress, if you're married, uh, sometimes we have other people, I want to be married, should I go to that? No. Uh, no, you shouldn't go to that. Yeah, just come to church. We'll help you with other stuff there. But um, it's a marriage retreat. But that, it's an awesome marriage retreat. We have um, some, some great uh, speakers who are coming from the West Coast all the way to the East Coast. Uh, Pastor John and Helen Barnes have their own TV program. It's specifically related to marriage and family. They're therapists for major marriage and family. 37 years married. They have a powerful testimony. And uh, they'll be pouring into us on that weekend. It is very economical. Uh, I would encourage you, if finances is an issue, affordability is an issue, sign up in faith. Trust the generous church that you're a part of that maybe, uh, uh, maybe we'll find a way for that to happen. We always do. And so if, if affordability is an issue, just sign up and let us know. We'll be discreet about that. But uh, don't let time or don't let obstacles in the weekend get away. You can literally uh, go on Friday night and you can be back by 1 o'clock the next day if you want to. Um, and you'll get a ton out of it in less than 24 hours. So that's the marriage retreat. And then uh, small groups, I just want to tell you, I've got these announcements, by the way, that I, I'm just going to tell you subconsciously they're super important to me, 
but there's another battle going on that just says, I don't want to have to do it this way. And um, so if you would encourage me, if you're a frequent flyer, a family member of this church, one of the best ways to minimize announcements, which are, there are certain things that are important, is to uh, participate in some of the social media avenues that we have. Please get, get on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, and then check out our website, because that's how we're going to more and more drive the traffic of communications and publications is through that. So if you're not checked into that, plugged into that, Again, get saved and then just start using that, if you would, and, and just plug in with that because we're going to start minimizing a lot of this. It takes pressure off the service and it makes us be able to focus and be more centralized in what we're doing. But on the 27th, we have a small group launch. Uh, we're doing small groups. Uh, our, if you've been here a while, you know we usually have a rally. We're not doing the rally. Um, this is kind of an experiment, and so this could change, but we're, we're looking at it and we're looking ahead because of growth and, and physical constraints. Um, it's not sustainable to do the rally the same way we've been doing it, especially in the wintertime. And so uh, we're going to uh, kind of let you know what's coming up. Um, and uh, next week we'll have kind of a teaser of some of the groups that are available. If you're a small group leader and for some reason you haven't got your app in, get it in ASAP if you want to have it promoted. But next week we'll have the teaser out just so you can kind of view it and see what's coming up. And then on the 27th, I'll talk about small groups that day, but we'll also have a host table which will be staffed by uh, leaders that represent all the groups, and that'll be taking place in the cafe. And so if you just kind of want to get more information about groups, if you actually want to know how to sign up, if you want to actually sign up that day, we'll have workstations available so all that can happen before and after service on the 27th. So that's kind of a short overview. But as you, if you're a leader, I think uh, this might make you a little bit nervous, but there's a tendency to rely on the rally. If you rely on the rally, you're a lazy leader. And I'm saying that as nicely as I know how. What I mean is there, you should be, you know, connecting with people and tapping shoulders and uh, long before, uh, during, and after the launch of small groups. And so I think long-term this will make us a much more relationally uh, connected church and kind of have us pursue things the right way for the right reasons as opposed to kind of relying on events. Events and meetings, it's not what it's all about if they don't point to something and they don't make us more effective and more connected. So everybody get all that? Yeah. Tracking with me so far? All right, let's get ready to get going. We're in, um, again, the second installment. Uh, this is God and the bod in pain. Uh, and uh, you've heard the old phrase, no pain, no gain. I'm going to open with a little uh, story. Uh, this is true to form. In other words, this is kind of uh, PD-esque. Uh, it's a little gross. And so I'd ask ladies, if you just bear with me through the entire story, there's a moral to the story, okay? One day there was a little, little birdie. <clears throat> flying south for the winter, and <clears throat> this little bird came into like this pocket of air, very cold air. The climate changed almost instantaneously. The bird started to spin and sputter and didn't think it was going to be able to fly because it was so freezing cold. It actually started to drop out of the sky, uh, fell to the ground, uh, absolutely, totally freezing, and um, it, it started to freeze to death and just lay there the, bird, the little birdie thought, you know, if this is the way I'm going to go, and I guess this is the way I'm going to go. And, and as, as he is slowly passing from this life to the next, birdie heaven, uh, this, this cow came along. And uh, you know where I'm going, right? This cow came along. No, you don't. Anyway, I can tell you don't yet, but you will. This cow came along and deposited kind of a, uh, a, a, a warm portion of uh, manure very nearby and on top of this poor little bird. And now I know this is gross, but again, just work with me. There's a moral to the story. All of a sudden, this frozen bird that is just shy of death, drawing its final breaths, you know, it starts to be revived by the warmth of, of, this, of this manure, and it's starting to feel better. And the bird's thinking, you know, I may actually live. I may actually live to, to sing and fly another day. And, and under the warmth of this, of this uh, incredible stuff, it kept thawing out and uh, an excitement, you know, began to come over the bird and, and it began to tweet just a little bit. Tweet, tweet. And then, uh, it just, and then it tweeted a little more. Tweet, 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 tweet. And it started just tweeting like crazy. And, and as it's tweeting and it's just kind of beginning to sing, it starts to flap its wings a little bit. It, uh, out of nowhere comes this emissary of death, uh, a doom, you know, ridden cat comes out of nowhere, and this cat, uh, you know, heard this tweeting bird and dug the bird out of the manure, ate and killed the tweeting bird in one fell swoop. 
Now, hang on, hang on. This story has three things that are very pertinent to today's lesson, and I wanted to lace it with a little bit of humor. Here it is. Three lessons from the story. This is bonus material. You might want to write this down. This is really good stuff. Not everyone who drops manure on you is your friend. Uh, or excuse me, is your enemy. Not everyone who pulls you out of manure is your friend. I said that wrong. And when you're in manure, keep your big fat mouth shut. <laughs> now we're going to talk about life circumstances and, uh, and sometimes there are, there are things that are related to relational pain, circumstantial pain, physical pain. And um, I think it's important to kind of open things up and realize, you know what, maybe there's a different message coming through these circumstances uh, that we didn't realize. Maybe there's something that we're interpreting wrong, and I kind of want to say at the beginning where we kind of end up at the end is, what if we're wrong in some of the interpretations that we have? In John chapter 11, it's the story of Lazarus, and we're going to be reading from 1 to 6, and then from 11 to 15 as we kind of exegete the scripture. John 11, it says this. I'm reading from the New King James. It says, now a certain man was sick, uh, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of uh, Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with the fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Verse 3. Therefore the sister went to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. In other words, I want to just kind of put a pause on the tape recorder. I know that's old school, that's, but I want you to remember something, maybe you forgot something, but the one that you love, Jesus, Lazarus, hey, he's sick, he's sick. And so then he goes on in verse four, says, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, here we go on, on. you can see this love that Jesus has for these two sisters and for Lazarus. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse six, New King James, it says, so, everybody say so. so. So, when he heard that he was sick, he rushed over to see him as quickly as possible. No. So, when he heard he was sick, he immediately dropped everything he was doing and he ran to see Lazarus. No, that's not what he did. It says he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, I read, you know, I read this with kind of a, a certain angle on this, I thought to myself, you know, that doesn't make any sense if you think about it. This is, this is the guy that in two verses uh, previously read, Jesus loved. Why would you wait if you love someone? Why wouldn't you respond immediately? I know what it's like to, we were talking about this last week in the kind of the principle of the Sabbath and how there's the, you know, I know it's your day off, PD, but, remember what I told you, if you ever see a but, you know, just run. Um, double meaning. Anyway, uh, there, 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 there's this tendency that there's this, this, uh, this emergency response, and Jesus didn't respond that way. Very interesting. And I think that, you know, for those who are suffering a little bit right now, this message would be quite relevant. In fact, uh, some of this I got actually on Friday, so there's a lot of bonus material in that. Uh, and, and the simple fact of the matter is I, I didn't feel like doing it. And so, uh, you know, and so I th again, I think God wanted to <laughs> illustrate something uh, in and through me as we go forward. But in this particular portion of Scripture, I believe there are two conversations going on here. Two conversations throughout this entire chapter. If you were to study some more on your own, you're going to get more out of it on your own. But there is a natural or earthly conversation, and then there is a heavenly or spiritual conversation happening here. And, if you, and again, take some time and look into it, but, but every time, anybody other than Jesus who's talking in this particular text is having a natural or earthly conversation, and every time Jesus speaks, it's what we say around here, it was an HNL, it was a whole nother what? Level. It was just, a, it was taking it to a different level, there was a different realm. This may blow some of your minds, but I believe that we are... We are, as Christians, as Christ followers, people who the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, we're new creations. You know, we're, we're, we're in, in fact, he says we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Some of you are a little too peculiar, but anyway, we're working on that. There, it says we're aliens in this world. Another way of saying all this to summarize is we're actually spiritual beings having a human experience, or we should be. In other words, we should be seeing things that nobody else sees. We should be having a less temporal mindset, attitude, scope, 
and we should be having a much more eternal perspective as we live our lives. But because we're holding on to this life so tightly and squeezing it so tightly, sometimes we don't see what, what we're supposed to see. And Jesus was always interacting, in particular with the 12, at this level, this earthly, heavenly, this spiritual, natural contrast always existed. And sometimes I think he gets frustrated with them. And so there are some things that happen in life, in other words, that you cannot understand without spiritual eyes. In the book of uh, 2 Corinthians and also in Acts, it says, in essence, this is a kind of a paraphrase, but anyone who turns to the Lord, in other words, you're going in your direction, doing it your way, man seems to, does what seemeth to be right in his own eyes, is going this way, and doesn't do a 360, which many of us do, and call ourselves Christ followers, but he does a 180, that's what it means to turn to the Lord, that it says the veil is taken away. So a lot of times we don't have the veil come off our eyes and begin to see through spiritual eyes because we keep doing 360s. We're doing pirouettes. And we're not supposed to be doing that. We're just supposed to get that kickstand on that. Uh, I used to be able to pretty, be a pretty good skateboarder back in the day, you know, and just spin it halfway, you know. But we're, we're kind of doing the 360 thing a lot of times. And we miss a lot of what God has for us because he wants to kind of help us have in this life more of those aha moments, more of those eureka moments. It's not just supposed to be in heaven, in heavenly realms. It can be here in the, in the now. Can I have an amen? This is better preaching than some of you guys are responding right now. Okay, and so uh, it, it's in your relationship with the Lord and in relationship with his word that you can receive uh, what we would say revelation knowledge. Some of the Pentecostals would say a heavy revy. You know what I mean? You just need, I need, you know, I need some of that heavy revy right now. And that rhema stuff. And that happens in relationship. And that happens when you're walking the walk that God's called you to walk. And, and, but everything Jesus says is through spiritual eyes and heavenly conversation. Look at verse 11 in your notes. It says, these things he said previously, verse 1 through 6 and more. And after them, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps. That's a spiritual way of saying or referring to death through, through the language of Christ. But I go that I may wake him up. That's a spiritual way of saying Go raise the sucker from the dead. That's what Jesus is saying there. Then his disciples said, if he sleeps, then he will get well. Uh, however, Jesus spoke of his death, but Jesus talked of rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly. I, find, I, I think when, when, when he said to them plainly, I'm emphasizing this. This may be reading into it, but I think he's like, <sighs> you know, like huffing and puffing. I probably would have been like, you idiots. But that's That's me. But he explains to them plainly what he meant by this. Again, he says, Lazarus is dead. Now he's speaking to them in an earthly conversation. Jesus had to do this a lot again. He had to because they, they just didn't get it. In verse 15, it says, and I'm glad for your sakes, referring to the 12 guys, I'm glad for your sakes, guys, that I was not there so that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now, sometimes I think, and this is, I think, in your notes, there are two conversations that are taking place in our lives, too. Is it possible there are two conversations going on in your life right now as it relates to painful circumstances, painful relationships, pain in your physical bodies, painful emotional situations? Is it possible that many of the happenings that you're looking at, you're looking at through earthly eyes and not through natural eyes? What if when... You know, uh, we got into the Word and in greater relationship with Christ during this time. What, what, how would we see things differently through heavenly eyes in our lives? For example, we might see an opportunity in our lives, not a, not a problem. Every problem is a pre-miracle. Every problem introduces you to the level or measure of your faith. We might see development of a story unfolding versus delay in a response that we want right now. We might see sleep and not death. We might see eternal and not temporal. Once the messenger left, you know, back to the story, once this, this messenger left to tell Jesus that Lazarus was sick, shortly thereafter, Lazarus actually died. And so he goes there to meet Jesus and Lazarus, and, and again, he's already dead. And then it takes him a day's journey uh, to get there. And then after that, Jesus, of course, waits two more days. And what this basically means, if you do all the math on this, is that Lazarus was in the tomb four days. Everybody say four days. The question is, why? Why would he do that? What was the purpose? What was happening as a result? And I think when Mary, Martha, and Lazarus got to heaven, they might have had a, a fuller conversation about this when they kind of got the facts of the matter. 
I mean, this is a hypothetical, but, I, but, but, but work with me. I think, I think it is responsible, nevertheless. And, and, and maybe the conversation, you know, Mary and Martha come up to Jesus, and then, and, and you know, hey, listen, Jesus, big guy, hey, you're looking good today, by the way. You're looking good. I like that robe. It looks awesome. Um, and, uh, but I, I know everything worked out. I know uh, it worked out, but after we talked to John and found out some stuff, he told us, uh, Jesus, uh, that the messenger came to you with the news of Lazarus' death. The guy, you know, you really loved, you mentioned that a bunch of times, you told other people that, and, and, and yet you waited two more days, and so no hard feelings because it all worked out, but we want to ask you about that. Like, what's up with that? I, I get it all worked out, but what was that all about? And I think if that conversation took place and Jesus was there and he responded, he would say this, and this is kind of a, a lead into our big idea. It's because I love you. It's because I love you. And I, I want to share with you a theological truth that can change your life, and, 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 I, I, and you may, I need to unpack it maybe for some of you to agree. Some of you will resonate with it right away. Here's the big idea. Everything God does, in parentheses, or allows, is because he loves you. It's because he loves you. Not one thing is not rooted in his love. Even his justice is rooted in his love. His delayed return is rooted in his love and his patience to win as many as possible. His allowing of pain to exist for now on the earth is because he loves you. It's all because he loves you, and I hope to make that clear to you. Jesus did something for Lazarus that he actually didn't do for anybody else. You say, well, yes, he did. You've got to be wrong on that because he raised other people from the dead. I understand that, but just, just bear with me. He, it was Jewish custom for people who had died to be buried that day. That was actually the custom. In fact, Jesus, uh, he wasn't even able, to, his body wasn't even spiced and prepared for death. And so they, had to, they even had to come back, I think it was after the Sabbath, to, to, make, that, to make that work. Uh, the widow's son Jesus raised in the funeral procession the day that the boy died. And, and, of course, there was a little girl he raised who was still in the room where she died, even though they tried to discourage him, say, don't come, she's already dead. He said, no, I, I got to go. And he did, and he raised her. In all those situations, um, it was on, they were dead, but it was on the day that they had died. Uh, with, the, with, with, with Lazarus, it was on the fourth day. It was different with Lazarus. In fact, Jesus, it wasn't even that way for him. Jesus was raised, as we know, on the third day. And scripture tells us that um, he was raised on the third day so that Jesus wouldn't see. It's kind of fulfillment of prophecy that, so that there wouldn't be uh, his body, the Holy One, would never see decay. Or, and that's what happened is from the third to the fourth day, what bodies would begin to decay or putrefaction would set in and, uh, you know, set in, I should say. And, and uh, in fact, I think in the old King James, uh, the story of Lazarus, you know, they rolled back the tune and I think it was Mary. She said, behold, you know, Lazarus, he stinketh. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of good language there. I like that. But uh, Jesus took Lazarus all the way to the point of decay and all the way to the point of corruption of his body, and then he raised him. And we say, why would he do that? I, I, because he loved him. You say, I'm confused. Okay, I understand that. But I believe it's because he loved Jesus. And I believe some of the things that he allows to happen in our life uh, is because he loves us. And so we're going to ask God three really tough questions to ho hopefully make sense out of this. The first question is this, is why did God create pain? Why, why God, did you create pain? Now, I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately because uh, I've had some pain. And the answer would be, in a nutshell, and I'll unpack it, is because I what? I love you. You can fill that in your blanks. It's because I love you. Why he created pain, uh, to expand on this, so we wouldn't hurt ourselves. You know, it's, it's like the, the, you know, telling your child, don't touch the hot burner on the stove. If you do, you'll get burned. And we're doing everything we can, and God sets these boundaries. We have physical boundaries and limitations, and we, we take sometimes our body to extremes. I'll talk about that next week. Some of the, there's two different extremes, a worshiper or a neglector. We often are taking our bodies to extremes, but God, but God allows pain to try to keep us inside the margins of our life so that we can be fruitful, so we can be healthy, so our vitality can be maintained, so we can do more for ourselves and for the kingdom. And so he created pain so we wouldn't hurt ourselves. But when we have pain, it tells us we're supposed to stop doing something or we're going to hurt even more. In fact, there's a, this, is, this is a pretty cool uh, study you can do on your own, but Dr. Paul Brand, um, a scientist, but, also, but, but a doctor first, and he, um, in, he did a lot of work in the 60s and 70s 
with lepers. In fact, he, for over two decades, he worked in a leprosorium is what they called it, where uh, he, he um, in Louisiana and also in India, where he, he discovered something that for thousands and thousands of years, physicians did not know as it related to a leper. And physicians believed that there was some disease that they contrived that began to eat away their appendages. It's a horrible, horrible disease. But that wasn't the case at all. In fact, Dr. Brand discovered that the disease caused this, the nerves and the nervous system to misfire. Is, is this my words on this? But eventually not function so that the, the leper could not feel pain. So the leper could be working outside with a rake or a hoe or a shovel, cut his hand, you know, nick an appendage or something like that. It would bleed. It would get infected. It would begin to uh, become a very grotesque wound. And, and then eventually uh, it would rot and it was a horrible, horrible thing, but it was caused because they could not feel pain, and, and it would progress. And uh, they actually got, did studies on these, on these lepers, and they would, they would get special equipment to come in and do surveillance on them while they slept because they would, go to, they would go to bed at night, and they would have a hand, and they would wake up the next day, and they'd not have a hand. They're trying to figure out what it was, and, and he began to discover, and this is, this is real but graphic, that, that rats would come in in the night and eat their rotting flesh. And thus the bandages and wraps that lepers would later wear. And, and so Dr. Brandy prayed for solutions on what to do about it. And God gave him an idea. They gave every leper a cat. And see, these cats, they are useful. I just want to declare that they are useful. But, 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 but the point of the matter is that pain, it talks, it communicates. It's for our benefit and, and, and we do everything we can to try to shut it off and, and make it go away. There's a great book that I wanted to plug here. Uh, I was thinking about this with the, uh, the uh, Sandy Hook crisis and all that's going on. This is written by Philip Yancey, a great author. He wrote, uh, you know, uh, things like What's So Amazing About Grace, if you, ever, you want to read a great book. But this is called Where Is God When It Hurts? And it gives a lot of the, the biblical foundations for, for pain and suffering in the world. And it was just very, very enlightening uh, information. I highly recommend that. I think... I think we have a copy of that down in our prayer room. But um, God is oftentimes, he's trying to talk to us. He's trying to get, us our, atten get our attention. And, and sometimes we're just pushing him away. Or we're trying to turn it off. Not too long ago, a few months ago, I was, I was uh, training in a different way. And I was doing wind sprints uh, down at Bowditch Field on the football field. And my wife actually was going, we were doing stadiums and having a blast. And, uh, and uh, I felt like, you know, uh, I was 20 again, you know. And the thing is, I'm not. Uh, uh, and, and, and I can remember running uh, one of these wind sprints that I was doing and, and uh, you know, just, I mean, O.J. Sim, I mean, I am booking, I am running like the, like the wind, chariots of fire babies in the background. It was awesome. And in that place, there was, my body started to talk to me and says, you need to decelerate, you need to, you need to flash, you need to bring it down a bit, downshift, you know, and you're, you're going you're gonna to blow a gasket. You're going to pop a hamstring. And, and I was just, ah, I got it, baby. I got it. I got it. Look at these blades. And I just kept going and pop, just like a guitar string. And, I, and just everything just slow. Bam. And I just hit the ground. I was so upset. But my body was talking to me. But I was shutting it off. And Dr. Brand developed these gloves for the lepers so that if they were stuck, struck or something sticked them in some way, uh, they would, or held something too tightly, an alarm would go off to tell them uh, what their own pain sensors couldn't tell them on their own, and these, and these lepers would ignore it. And then they put electrodes on the back of their neck. There's a whole bunch of other steps in between, but I'm giving you the majors, because they realized that the last, part, the last part of our central nervous system to feel is on the back of our neck. And so they put these electrodes on the back of their neck, and, and when they would squeeze something, hit something, be poked by something, a, a, a little electrical shock would go off, and they would just ignore it because they want to get their work done or just try to finish, or it's almost, or they just, whatever, they ignored it. And so then they turned it up even more and made it stronger. And then the lepers figured out where the, the source was, and they shut the switch off. And and they turned it up even stronger and they figured out a way to unplug it. And it just kept going and kept going. And Dr. Brand's conclusion was God rigged it so that we couldn't turn the pain off. But the sad fact of the matter is our society today, through different methods, numb and dumb and all kinds of things, we've had medicine. We have ways to turn the pain off. And that lack of pain is causing us more pain later. 
my dad used to say something to the effect like, you can play now and you can pay later greater. Or you can pay now, right now, and you can play later greater. Which one do you want? Do you want the ice cream now and the bike later? Or do you want the bike later and give up the ice cream now? I want the ice cream, daddy. That's what I used to say all the time. And that's what's getting us in trouble sometimes is we'll go for the immediate uh, satisfaction, immediate gratification. A lot of times we'll do anything we can to just turn down the, the immediate pain, but we're setting ourselves up for future pain. And God did it allowed pain because he loves us. We don't listen to our bodies and we stop doing some of the things, you know, we, we, just, we just don't, the dashboards of our life, we just, we're just saying, no, 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 I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look, not going to do it, not going to do it, wouldn't be prudent. But it is prudent. And so what happened with these uh, lepers is, is, and I don't know the exact statistic, but the suicide rate was astronomically higher amongst the lepers from all other people groups. And the reason for that was if you cannot feel pain, you cannot feel love or pleasure. If, if at some point they couldn't have a handshake, nobody ever embraced them and gave them the hug, nobody kissed them, these people were so horribly disconnected from what God created us to be as interdependent beings that they wanted to check out as fast and as furiously as possible. God created pain so that we could also have the contrast, contrasting blessing of pleasure and love. Next, why, do you, why, did, why did you create suffering, God? Why did you create suffering? Now, I'm going to throw you a little curveball here. This would be his answer. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Suffering came when sin came into the world. The same for disease, pestilence, catastrophes, evil happening, sickness, war, violence, you name it. It all came in. God actually created a perfect world. We sin, and this is what happens. Suffering is now a part of life. And what I always say sometimes is that God is good, life is unfair, don't confuse life with God. This is bonus scripture, but 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the trial, the painful trial that you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, it's a part of life. In fact, when this scripture was written by, the, by Peter, it was written during the Neronian persecutions. Remember Nero? He was a freak, and he hated Christians, and he would, he would, he would, he would uh, massacre Christians. He would, he would get them, he would bag them, he would burn them, and he would have lions, lions eat them. He was horrible. And Peter wrote that during that time. There are, there, there are different types of suffering, and this is also bonus material. It's good for you to have. Again, I didn't feel like doing it earlier, so I'm sorry, but it's just the way it was. Here's three types of suffering. There's common suffering. I'll give it to you quickly. There's consequential suffering, and then there's Christian suffering. Common suffering, consequential suffering, and there's Christian suffering. Common suffering is like, it's John 16, Jesus said, in this world you have trouble, take heart, I've overcome the world. That's not the kind of scripture you want to put on your refrigerator or a bumper sticker on your car, but he's promised us you're going to have trouble in this world because there is common suffering because of the fall of man, because of a cursed world that we live in. In this type of suffering, our common response is to blame something or someone. We say things like, why did you or why did I or why do we deserve this? And the answer is, you don't. One, one time a guy was born blind and the disciples brought this person to Jesus and they said, whose fault was this? Jesus said, nobody's. No, this just happens so that God could be glorified. There's a story unfolding. You just don't see it yet. In an ultimate sense, I'll make it all right. That's true of all of the things that we're facing today in an ultimate sense. If we have an eternal perspective and we see through spiritual eyes, that's what happens to us. In short, sometimes we suffer because we live in an imperfect, cursed world, not because of God, but because of man. Consequential suffering is it's pretty self-explanatory. There's a consequence for our actions. Your kids touch the stove, they get burned. Now it's an opportunity to teach them a lesson. I don't say, I told you so, I told you so, but I take advantage of the fact that I explain this to you. There are boundaries in life. Well, I have told them, I told you so a few times. I have to admit that. I want to confess that. I'm publicly, so thanks God for reminding me of that. But, uh, but this, th this could be uh, because of your sins or the sins of the family. It could be generational or others on you. I think the big point is here, if you hang around sin, you're going to get bit. You know, if you're around people where, where messes, you're going to get messed up. Sin can cause suffering. Uh, Christian suffering, 2 Timothy says this. It says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. 
Wow, sign me up for some more of that, you know? Preach it, preach it, pastor. Thank you for that. I should invite my friends for some more of that. It's just a part of life and we need to know it. And we didn't, we, it, it's not God's fault, okay? It's, there, there, it's Christian suffering. In Acts 5, it says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. If you don't suffer once in a while as a Christ follower, you might not be going in the right direction. Come on, somebody. I'm spitting up in here, so I know the anointing's strong. I need like a windshield going on right now, all right? So if you don't suffer... Uh, you need to worry about it a little bit. That's an interesting thought. In other words, instead of saying a, a, a mature Christian's response to suffering should be, not why is this happening to me, but what are you doing in me? What, 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 is the, what am I not seeing? What is the message? Help me have eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying and what, you're, and what, you're, what you want me to see. Why ask that? Well, because I think suffering, if we see it right, can draw us closer to Christ, not further away. In John 16, 21, you know the story of the woman who was in travail. Travail, listen, there's some, pra- there's some pragos in this house right now. A lot of people are having babies right now, I know. And, uh, and it's, it's hard. It's hard. And the travail's tough. But the, but the Bible says, and, and this is an experience that anybody who's had a child knows, is that once the baby comes, we remember, the, remember that travail no more. In other words, there was, a, there was pain, but then the joy that comes later erases all the process of pain. In fact, it's the contrast against the travail that makes you appreciate the pain, that, excuse me, the pleasure that you're having right now. In fact, it says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ that you may be overjoyed, overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Maybe God is doing a whole bunch of things through pain that you don't even realize. You appreciate, you experience, you're overjoyed because you, you, you see pain the right way. This understanding or lack thereof is what causes many to go away from God or closer to God. And our biblical worldview on it, our relationship with him, with him on this is critical. Because if you don't have that, it's like I had an atheist friend and he said to me one time, he said, look around, you know, Derek, at all the ills of society and tell me. Just tell me this, you know, pastor, did, did God create this? Is this the best he can do? And I said to him very quickly, no, it's the best we can do. You should have seen what it was like when we weren't here. God created a perfect world and he gave it to us to steward. And what happens is the ills of society are a result of sin, not caused by us excuse me, by, by God, but by us. And this isn't God's design that babies go hungry in Africa and innocent lives die in Connecticut and, and are slaughtered. That's not his, God is a good God and life is unfair. And I'm gonna say something tongue in cheek, but if God made a mistake and he didn't, it was giving us free will agency and dominion over the earth. He gave us free will, and that was not a mistake. I believe it wasn't a mistake with all my heart, but just hear the contrasting point. And he gave us dominion of the earth. In other words, if bad things happen in this earth, oh, it's because of man. If good things happen, it's because of man. You say, what do you mean? Well, it's the church. It's through the church that, you know, we, we go in and we help with the ills of society. We're supposed to be the hope for a hurting world. We're supposed to be the hands and feet of Christ extended. He's gone. He's made us the ambassadors, the messengers, the, the, the disciples that go out and make disciples. In fact, we're not just supposed to go heal the, the it's not just a social justice where we heal all the social needs. We're supposed to give them an eternal uh, uh, truth, uh, the incorruptible riches of Christ, so that when they die, and it's a, it's a reality that people will die, whether in inadvertently or accidentally or suddenly or through catastrophe, whatever it is, it's a fact. Everybody's going to die. It's just, it's true. Death and taxes, it's a reality. Then we have been the ones to give them the hope that makes it possible for them to have an eternal relationship with God. That's what we're responsible to do. So if good things happen, it's because of us. If bad things happen, it's because of us. But sometimes God is getting blamed or falsely accused for things he didn't do. So why did he create pain? Why did, why did, why did you create suffering? Here's our third question. Personalize this to Jesus. Why did you, Jesus, suffer? Jesus, why did you suffer? If he didn't create pain and suffering, then why did you, Christ, suffer and experience so much pain? This is such a powerful truth. I hope that I can do it right. But the creator became the creation, and he did not exempt, exempt himself from suffering. 
The creator became creation and did not exempt himself from suffering. Matthew 16, 21, he told his disciples, the 12, that this would happen. He said, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. Everybody say, suffer. Again, not a popular message, but if you embrace it, it can be a very powerful message. I must suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and raised the third day. The creator of the universe became a human being, not a superman. First, he divested himself of all his divine privileges, his superpowers, as it were, got off his throne and came down, dwelt among men, lived this, in this unfair, cursed, messed up, crazy nuts world, navigated sinless, and then died a horrible death in a time and season in history where death was the most horrible. He did that for you and for me. In John chapter 11, verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. That means he could be touched by sorrow. He knows what it's like to be 10 and, and 21 and, and 33 on a cross. He knows what it's like to lose a friend. He knows what it's like to be a teenager without a father. Of all the things God the Father could have done, he put Jesus on this earth and said, I'm going to have you down there, and when you kind of need a daddy the most, he's going to be gone. Really? Why did he do that? God could have chose any man to be Jesus' father, and he did it that way. So I think so that we could know and experience what no other religion on the planet earth could experience, and that our God knows how we feel. Our God knows how we feel. It's called, theologically, it's called the principle of identification. Politicians try to use this. It's a facade. It's a, it's a, it's a method. It's skewed, and it's, it's done wrong, but a politician will get into a private jet and when he gets into the jet, he goes from a suit to coveralls. And, and when he gets in lands, he gets into a limo and his coveralls. And he goes to see a farmer. And he gets out and he says, my, and he leans on a tractor and he says, my great, great grandfather's uncle was a farmer. So I know how you feel. And then he leaves that and he gets back into the limo and, and he changes from his coveralls and he puts on a kind of a white coverall and he puts on a hard hat and he goes to a construction site and he gets to the construction site and he leans against some really expensive equipment and he says, my great-great-grandfather's daddy's uncle's brother's sister was a construction worker. I know how you feel. And if that's not enough, then he gets back into the limousine. He changes out of that. He puts on a nice suit, heads down to Wall Street, sees some of the bankers there, and he gets out, and he gets into that nice institution, and he says, my great-great-grandfather's daddy's uncle's mother's sister's brother, the guy who had a friend who brought the mail, he was a banker. And that's why I know how you feel. And we all know when we hear this story and we see this and it happens all the time, he's a liar. He does not know how we feel. Nor does any other God, by the way, know how you feel. There's no mediator between God and man except the man Christ Jesus. He, Jesus, knows how you feel. Jesus was a human. Wow. Wow. He felt every whip, every scourge, every nail, every thorn, every spear, every insult, every false accusation, every inequity. He was tempted in all points just as we are, it says in Hebrews, yet without sin he never crossed the line. In other words, he said, I suffered, I died, I didn't exempt myself from anything. Sometimes we blame God for some of the suffering that we're experiencing. In John chapter 11, back to the story, Martha, look what she says and look what Mary says. Martha says to Jesus in verse 21, Lord, if you, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you, how many times have you pointed a question at God and said, Lord, if you, I think sometimes we say other things to God when we're mad at him. You can fill in the blanks on that. I won't do that in church. And then it goes in verse 32. Then when Mary came to him and saw him, he said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Isn't it interesting that the two sisters used the exact same words? Maybe they were talking about it over the four days. Maybe they were blaming God. Maybe we do the same thing. I wonder how many times we've said, Lord, if you, if you, what if you did this or what if you did that? If only this, if only that. Can I tell you something? There are two answers for all of this. It's pretty simple. When there's pain and suffering in this world, and you've you got to remember them, and I hope I've made this as simple as I possibly can, but when, when you ask yourself the question, why did you do this? Why did you, why did you create pain? Why did you create suffering? Why did you allow these bad things to happen to me? His answer is, because I love you, or I didn't. His answer every time is, because I love you, or I didn't. I want you to see this video. I'm going to play it this time in this service. I, I, I want 
I want you to identify with what Christ did for you and for me. You can turn the lights down and you can let it go. somebody needs a, uh, a minute with God as if they're all alone. Just God and them. 
What if, what if you've been wrong about Jesus? What if you've, you've cast blame on him instead of casting your care on him? What if he does understand? And what if he wants to give you the Holy Spirit to, to hold your hand and come alongside you and comfort you and console you and counsel you? What if? Maybe you're ready to answer that today with a, I believe and I was wrong. And I want to change the direction I was going in and change the implications of my question. And like Jesus, I realize that I can point my toughest questions at God on my worst day, and that's okay, because Jesus did that. Why? Why, God, have you forsaken me? To his own Father, he said that. But in only a few moments, he bent his knee and said, it's not about me, it's all about you. Whatever you want to do in me, through me, I surrender, I submit. Maybe you're ready to surrender and submit what you think and who you are to God today. And if that's you and you know, you know, it's time. I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you when, when I say three to raise your hand and I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to embarrass you, but right there in your seat between you and God, you boldly raise your hand and you look me in the eye and say, that's me. I'm ready to surrender my life to Christ today. One, I just want to encourage you, don't miss an opportunity because you don't know. You don't know about tomorrow. It's not promised. Two, I can promise you this is the best deal there is. It's the most important decision you can ever make. It was for me. Three, if that's you, would you raise your hand good night and say, that's me. I don't want to miss it. God bless you in the back there. Is there anybody else? God bless you all the way at the back. Thank you. God bless you in the front here. I don't want to miss anybody else. Raise a good and high between me and you and God, I promise. It's between us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hand down. And I want to encourage you to tell somebody the decision you made today and, and those of you who maybe you've given your heart to Christ but you've been casting blame on him and you've been, you've been putting in the wrong place and instead of running toward him you've been running away from him indirectly and, and you want to make that change I, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me as we pray with those few brothers and sisters that made the most important decision in our life would you all join me and just say Jesus I'm sorry I do things my way so often I want to do it your way. I want to see through spiritual eyes. I choose today to turn towards you. Take the veil off my eyes. All aspects of my life. I don't want to suffer unnecessarily or experience any pain, consequential pain, because of what I've done. But I pray today that you help me learn more about pain what you want to do in me and through me because of it. I surrender my life to you today, again, in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you seal that prayer in their hearts, God. I pray that they're changed from this day forward, never to be the same again, never, never, never to be the same again. Those that know you, those that never knew you, they're changed because they came into the presence of God, they heard the word, and, and the word of God does not return void the word is living and active to those who live and act on it. And I pray that people go out of your change because they're going to live and act on your word. And it's in your precious name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap all around. God bless you. God bless you.